This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. All right. Welcome to Tax Tuesday. My name is Toby Mathis, and I'm joined by... Jeff Webb. Yay, Jeff. There we go. A little slow on the take there, but uh, if you're looking for Tax Tuesday, you're in the right place. We're going to let everybody fill into the room. It's usually a little bit of a process, so... Uh, in the meantime, why don't you guys let me know where you are sitting, not in your living room, but what city and state. So maybe you could let me know where you're at. Put it in the chat so we can see where you are at today, city and state. Houston. Oh, shoot. No, they're just flying by. Dripping Spring, Castle Rock, Boston, Bremerton, Washington, Roseville, Jacksonville, Bellingham, League City, Texas, Adelaide. Ooh, Adelaide. That's a oh. lot. Actually, my brother-in-law is in Adelaide uh, in uh, Australia. That's weird. Chino, maybe it's my brother-in-law. Claremont, Florida, Las Vegas. Hey, that's where we're at. Anaheim, California, San Diego, Miami, Florida. A little bit jealous. Houston, Texas, New Jersey, San Luis Obispo in California, New York, Seattle, Washington. 25 years in Seattle. Oh, well, Laguna Beach, Holsbo. You're over near Clint partner who's up there in Gig Harbor. Let's see. Somebody says Nevada, Bronx, New York. So we got people from all over the place. And so uh, if you can do that chat, there we, we even have Squim. Isn't that Squim where they had the, uh, who's the vampires, Twilight or something? Oh, uh, was, yeah. that, was that supposed to be? Up in Washington. Yeah. I think it's Squim. Who knows? Uh, very exciting. Forks. Uh, somebody, yeah, somebody knows their, their Twilight. All right, so if you, that's Port Towns, everybody's a lot of people are saying Forks. So now, now it, it, I don't think it's Port Towns. I think it is Forks. It's like way out there. All right, so here's what we got. If you can chat, then uh, you can always make comments. If you have questions, put them in the Q and A so our guys can answer. When I when I say our guys, we got Amanda, Dutch, Tanya, Troy. Gosh, I know there's others. Elliot, Matthew, Patty's even on, so they can answer your tax questions. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to go diving into our tax questions, if I can make this slide advance. All right. So we already went over. You can ask live via Q&A, and you can always make comments to inside of the chat. Email your questions to Tax Tuesday at Anderson Advisors in the meantime. So we do these every other week. So if you have a burning question and you want to get it off your chest, throw it out here. A lot of times, uh, well, every time we grab about 10 to 15 of those. And they become our opening questions that we answer while we're on with you. If you need a super detailed response, like we're giving advice to you, not just answering a basic question about what the tax rule is, then you got to become a client. And you can do that with our Platinum service, which Platinum is about to roll out, our knowledge room, which is going to be open every day. So you can pop in and ask your questions. Uh, and it's all inclusive at one uh, low, low price. It's a monthly cost for Platinum. And uh, you can ask all the questions you want of the attorneys and the accountants, and it's a ton of fun. And I think that's scheduled out week from tomorrow. Yeah, it's coming, guys. It's, it's coming soon. And uh, we've been using these hotlines and the portal to ask questions, but we've been listening to you guys. And, and sometimes they listen to me once in a while. And I'm like, just get everybody on a, like, just have it well staffed so people can come in and get their questions answered right away. Pop in, get it answered, boom, done. You don't need to go through layers of administration. Let's just get it done. And this, by the way, we have no administration. It's just Jeff and I. So Jeff and I are going to answer questions. Do smart asses get a discount? John, for you, 
Absolutely not. <laughs> Resist. Oh, we love John. All right. So there's a lot of names. And by the way, if I start talking to the screen, it's because I can see my chat and there's a whole bunch of folks that are on all the time and they're like family at this point, but they do heckle us and they make fun of Jeff a lot. We, we know Sherry's going to pop up here. Where's Sherry? I didn't see. I don't think she's on because she's uh, like, she has a loud chat. <laughs> I don't know how she does that, but not in yet. See? Yeah. So, but there's a, there's a few that are on almost every time and, and we do, uh, we actually appreciate that. And we appreciate all you guys coming on, but the more interactive you are, the more fun it is for us. All right. Opening questions. We're going to go through, and if you've not been on a tax Tuesday before, we're going to go through all these questions one at a time, but I'm going to read them to you in the very beginning. Uh, so you know what we're going to answer so that if you're sitting here going, should I sit and listen? you can pick some questions that specifically relate to you. I'm helping my elderly dad manage his rental properties, which he filed as a sole proprietor. I have a joint account with him where all of the deposits go into. He files the taxes on the rental income. Would that affect my taxes or am I liable for anything associated with those rental properties if I'm the joint owner of the bank account? Good question. We'll answer that. Uh, could I still qualify for the qualified business income deduction for rental activities even if I do not have the real estate professional status. Ooh, qualified business income deduction, 199A. I, yep. hope, I hope you're on your game, Jeff. I think Jeff is ready. I have a question about incurring expenses and paying them with my personal credit card. How do I recoup that money that was used for my business but charged to my personal credit card? My LLC is less than a year old. A baby LLC. Is it crawling yet? Let's get it going. All right. Suppose a Florida LLC has a piece of land bought three years ago and hired a construction company to build a single house when the house is sold. Can I allocate? Is that the one where the yeah. you said there was a that period? Was All right. Can I allocate part of the profit to the sale of the land, long-term capital gain, and the other part to ordinary income? Question mark. Interesting. I'm interesting. I'm going to be curious as to what you say about that. I'll be careful with what I say to that. <laughs> How do I use my 401k or IRA to invest in real estate? Good question. My husband, we're supposed to have some of these ahead of time. <laughs> this is like, this is like Christmas. I'm like, this is much more fun when you just like, oh, what are they asking today? My father, my husband's father wants to, husband's father wants to sign his house over to us. My husband's sister also owns 65% of the property. That's kind of interesting. We're going to have to dig into that. Uh, what tax advantages? Are there for us, his dad and his sister? And what tax issues does it raise for us? Should we start an LLC or some other structure? Great question. We'll endeavor to answer for you. What is the best way to use funds from my S-Corp to pay taxes? Since the corporation taxes flow through to my personal taxes, I understand I need to pay my personal taxes from my personal account, but the money is really in the business account. Can I use a distribution and is there a dollar amount limit for such a transaction? Good question. So we're going to get to that one too. If I elect to aggregate rental properties into one activity, for example, managing, operating single family homes as rentals and limited partnership interest in a multi-family multi syndication, what happens if years down the road, one of the assets is sold from the aggregate group? What are the tax and legal implications? Good questions there. Is it tax-wise? I just love that word. Is it tax-wise? Or is that two words? It's a hyphen. So they got a hyphen in there. Yeah. Is that one word? I don't know. All right. Somebody out there is an English major. This is your chance to shine. When you have a hyphen, it's one word, right? 
Oh, I see what you're saying. Is it is it one word or two words when you have a hyphen? So this is, uh, I need to know. It's just, this like is follow up. Give and take. Cool. This is give and take yeah. here. Come on, we got to have an English major out there. I know somebody's out there going, uh, my mom knows that, right? Uh, uh, <laughs> Go ahead and ask your mom. We'll wait. I know, we'll wait. <laughs> All right, is it tax-wise to pass on single family rental home properties before my death to my kids? We have plenty of income and passing on a few of them to our two kids might even lower our tax bracket. Hmm. Each rental property is in a separate LLC and we've owned them for 78 years now. Good questions. We'll, we'll get into that one too. We have two. Wait, did they answer? No, it's actually not a word. Hey, stop it. Really? Who? All right. I'm still, I'm reading the chat. I need no English majors. Nah, nah. I'm going to start to Google it. The great university that is Google will probably tell me something bad about myself. Is that one word? If it comes back and it says you're an idiot, like it's the top thing, I'm going to feel bad. All right. We have two newly opened short-term rental Airbnbs. So when you see STR in our world, it's short-term rental mm -hmm. in LLCs. We want to do cost segregation and do bonus. It's depreciation, appreciation for 2023 tax year. Great. We are logging our time for the 500 hours rule. Yes. I heard that a small business should be taxed as S-Corps to save on self-employment taxes, but other says don't put Airbnbs in an S-Corp because they're passive. What to believe? Well, you came to the right place. We're going to answer that one, and it's right. Wait, did anybody say the hyphen is not appropriate in this specific question? Oh, David, full disclosure uh, with me, and now she's required to read tax wise. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's telling me the answer, though. We, we have a book that says it's a real word. <laughs> yeah, it's not a real word. Well, then it's a word. You have to decide. If it's not real, it's still a word, right? Hey, if you guys have, like this type of content and you want to go in and get specific answers to questions, there are now, let me see if I could add this, there's 682 videos. And I think that's as of like, I don't know when that is as of, um, but we're always putting more. So there's 680 plus videos. Wait. Hyphenated words found in any generally acceptable dictionary are counted as one word for the game Scramble. Any word that requires the use of a hyphen or asterisk cannot be played in the game. Ooh, any word that required the use of a capital letter is not allowed. So that's Scrabble. For hyphenated, tax-wise, one word. So everybody's getting wiser today. Anyway, you can go to my YouTube channel. Uh, my partner, Clint, has a great YouTube channel as well, where he, he spends most of his time on asset protection. I spend most of my time on tax and money and uh, telling people to stop doing crazy things that are costing them money. I was just watching your video on trading the other day, <laughs> over the weekend. I get a lot of love when I post. Uh, I know. I lose all your money being a trader. And they're always like, can you, they, they're so mean. Toby all but says, I'm ready for you haters. It's okay. <laughs> I just say, here's the facts, right? Um, hey guys, if it's, who does, who has more videos? Clint, I think I blow Clint out of the water when it comes to videos. <laughs> Content-wise, I mean, a, a quantity, you know, he would say that his content is so, uh, is, is much more valuable, right? So who, who knows who's right? All right. The Tax and Asset Protection Workshop, we have virtual events on November 10th, the 18th, and the 30th, and we have our four-day live. I don't know. I think there's still tickets left. Last year, we sold out of our December uh, Tax and AP mm -hmm. in Vegas. I think we still have tickets left on this one. It's December 7th through the 10th. It's at the Virgin Hotel and Casino, and it's fun. And they're pretty inexpensive. I don't know the price of the tickets, but it's a good reason to come to Vegas and hang out with us. 
On Thursday, we always do a uh, investing day. And so we have, we got the guy from Flipping Boston. I got Mark K. Latimer coming out. Somebody put up our video count, told me 682, Clint 488. Well, he's doing good. 488 is nothing to shake a stick at. No. It's a lot of videos. His are probably longer. So maybe the same amount of time, maybe. All right. So this is really cool. So we have this virtual, we have all the virtual events where if you want to learn about land trust, LLCs, corporations, they're there. And then I'm going to pop through this. We don't need that. Let's just jump into answering questions. So ready, question one. I'm helping my elderly dad manage his rental properties, which he filed as a sole proprietor. I have a joint bank account with him where all of the rental deposits go into. He files the taxes on the rental income. Would that affect my taxes or am I liable for anything associated with those rental properties if I'm the joint owner of that bank account? I, I kind of look at this as I probably wouldn't have made you a joint owner. I probably made you an authorized signer on the account. Either way, it, it doesn't affect you tax-wise. All the income is his. You don't own the properties or anything. I guess technically he doesn't even own any of the cash unless, unless his father passes on and yeah, usually when when you see a joint account, there's a gift of the assets that are in it. Yeah. If you're actually a joint account owner and you have use of enjoyment of that asset. So like a parent that says, Hey, you know what? I'm gonna put my 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 daughter on my account and it's two hundred thousand dollars. They're worried about if what happens if they pass away. They just made a hundred thousand dollar gift to their child. Mm-hmm. Here it sounds like you're just using it as a business account. And if anything, I mean, I think the IRS could try to argue if there's substantial assets in the account, but not the rental property itself, because you don't own that. You have no right to those monies. So I would say it's more of a Scribner's error that they didn't, there wasn't any intent to gift you part of that account. You just put them on, you just got put on as a joint account holder. Probably you might want to check that and see if actually you're just a signer. Brooke, the banker is listening and agreeing with you all. Okay. Thanks, Brooke. I like Brooke. Brooke, the banker. Is that uh, Brooke as in your sister, Patty? Let's see what Patty says. Yes. So Patty's sister is All right. Now, here's one thing I do want to correct, this whole sole proprietor thing. Sole proprietor is an active business Mm. that goes on your Schedule C. It is not your rental properties, which go on page one of your Schedule E. See? Jeff's awesome. Uh, I'm trying. (laughs) I was like, I was a softball. I was like, here, 40 years C. That's a bounces off my head. Um, Yeah, I I mean, I get what you're saying that he is the sole owner, but he's not a sole proprietor. Yeah, that's actually a term of art for an active business, but uh, uh, it's weird. It's weird. It's weird. All right. So that's the answer to that. Would it affect your taxes? No. Are you liable for anything associated with those rental properties? You're not a joint owner of the property, so you should not be liable. If some horrible event occurred on that property and somebody put their ears back and was suing, they might say, hey, because you're a joint owner on that bank account, if you are actually a joint owner, they might try to attribute liability to you. But I think there's going to have to be uh, control of those properties. They're going to show that you're actually involved and that it's not just being on an account. I don't think it's going to be enough. Yeah, I, I think your liability is going to be limited to really bad things like uh, embezzlement, writing bad checks, malfeasance, uh, things of that nature. And I would actually... Uh, in any case, this is a rental property and as a tax attorney, but also as an asset protection attorney, I'm going to say, what's the worst thing that could happen? Uh, a horrible event happens on that property and they sue you for $10 million or $20 million or something. You need to have an LLC over that property. Yes. Always put a box around 
your real estate. There's no way to control that risk. You never have an idea. And I'm talking to, you're talking to someone who's had a tree fall on my property, literally on top of the tenant. But luckily it was a, one of my North Carolina brick houses Mm -hmm. and the tree goes right on top of it, literally like destroyed the roof, didn't touch the tenant. Nice, nice lady, 88 years old, would have just squished her, but landed on that. And I've had three houses burned down. We have hundreds of houses, but it does happen. And so we've, we've never had a fatality. We've never had a, like a, a mold claim where they chase after us, but plenty of clients. Yes, they have plenty of clients. We've seen massive lawsuits like deaths of infants and things like that end up being in the tens of millions of dollars. I don't care how much insurance you think you got. It's not going to be enough. So just saying, put an LLC around that thing. Next question. Could I still qualify for the qualified business income deduction for rental activity activities, even if I do not have real estate professional status? Jeff. This is a subject that Congress and Treasury went round and round and round. Fortunately, you can declare that your real estate business is a trade or business for 199A purposes, which is uh, the qualified business income deduction. A uh, real estate professional is automatically a trader business and gets the same thing. Well, I, I might disagree with you slightly on that. Your passive, the real estate is still passive, but for the real estate professional, it becomes non-passive. It's an exception to the rule under 469, right? Oh, yes. So, right. Yes. So does it make it QBI? I don't think so. I think uh, for qualified business income, you have to have, let me see if I remember this, it's, it's 199A. Mm-hmm. You have rental real estate. You have commercial real estate and you have triple net lease real estate and you keep, you have safe harbors on each. You have to have 250 hours of aggregating your rental properties or your commercial properties, or I don't think you get to do triple net lease. Triple is is nothing, right? So you have those two and you have to keep them separate and you have to keep separate books on them. It's crazy. So QBI, I always look at it and go, why the hell would you want to do that? Because it's it's a 20% deduction on your net income. And in real estate, when was the last time you saw net income? Yeah, well, with real estate, especially residential real estate or even commercial real estate, you're usually seeing tax losses, not necessarily cash losses, but tax losses. Yeah. Uh, and to declare those to be qualified business actually goes against you if you're taking it losses. toasts you because they net out all of your businesses. So if you have a business that qualifies for QBI and let's say it makes a hundred grand, you get a 20% deduction off the top because Congress said, yay, the, under the 2017 Tax Cut and Jobs Act. And then you have real estate and you're like, yeah, let's call it QBI. And it loses money. You have to take the loss against the yep. other income just for QBI purposes. You don't get to take the loss for real. Still no. a passive loss. But then they that take, doesn't seem fair. It's a complete hosing of the taxpayer, but the, they love to hose the taxpayer. But you'd almost have to walk into that because you'd have to say it's QBI. Hey, I separated out my books and I did 250 hours because you're not going to prove it for them, right? Yeah. So if you, if you don't do that and you don't aggregate them, then you'd be like, you know, up yours. But then you have real estate professional status, which is this other thing entirely which is if I have passive losses, ordinarily passive losses only offset passive gain. Now there's two exceptions. Exception number one, this is for real estate, rental real Mm -hmm. estate. There's two types of passive income, rental real estate and businesses that you do not materially participate in. So just for real estate, there's two exceptions. Exception one is the $25,000 active participation. 
and it phases out between $100,000 and $150,000 of AGI. Option number two is real estate professional status, mm -hmm. which does not phase out at all, but I have to meet the 750-hour test in a real estate trader business yep. that I materially participate in, and I have to materially participate on the properties that I'm attempting to declare as non-passive. So I'd have to aggregate my properties together more than likely. And this is one that really they went back and forth on and almost said, no, real estate professional cannot be QBI. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because they were like, it, it came out and with no forethought. Like it's just Congress doing what Congress does, which they pass things because it's a pretty shiny thing. And then they forget that there's, tax professionals that actually have to advise their clients. And there's a, the treasury actually has to enforce the rule and nobody knows what the rules are. So they just, and there were no rules. It was just a, it was like a little section. I think 199A was like a tiny little section. And it was like, oh yeah, yeah. You just hopelessly complicated something that should be simple. If you really want to give a tax deduction, just give a tax deduction. Yeah. And, and the way Congress works is they get 10,000 pages of this tax act and say, oh, I'll have my page read it later. Oh, they screw things up all the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're still trying to figure out the CARES Act. We're still asking, uh, well, shoot, we were just dealing with conservations, right? And historical properties. And you're like, could you please give us some guidance? And they're like, ah, oh, we'll think about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. So could you still qualify for QBI for rental activities, even if you don't have the real estate professional status? The answer is yes. Next question. I have a question about incurring expenses and paying them with my personal credit card. How do I recoup that money that was used for my business, but charged to my personal credit card? My LLC is less than a year old. Defro. I'm going to start off with a simple answer. A simple answer is yes, you can mm -hmm. pay for stuff with a personal credit card and deduct it in your entity. However, I would advise you to have a personal credit card that you use only for business. It makes life that much simpler. Or get a business credit or card. Or get a business credit card, absolutely. But yes, you can deduct those expenses. I go out and buy a computer on my personal credit card for my business. I'm gonna deduct that on my business. I'm gonna reimburse myself for my business. I think the business needs to reimburse you. If it's a corporation, I think absolutely, you Absolutely, absolutely. So. I go out and I incur an expense on behalf of Anderson. I don't get to write that off as an individual. There's no miscellaneous itemized deductions. They went away in uh, 2017. So Anderson could reimburse me. Anderson cannot write off my computer until it reimburses. Correct. Very so, good point. Yeah. So your company just needs to reimburse. You. If you're a sole proprietor, which you shouldn't be because your audit rate's ridiculously high and you always lose your audits because of things like this, they don't know what is personal and what is business. They're all intermixed. They're all just a big hodgepodge. So liability is unlimited. The IRS will go through line after line. Hey, which phone call was business? Which phone call was personal? You can only deduct the business, right? So like you get everything gets torn up. It's just a mess. In this particular case, you have an LLC, just reimburse yourself and make sure that that LLC is classified as the appropriate entity. If it's a business, it should be taxed, even though it's an LLC, Make sure it's taxed as an S corp or a C corp, unless it's getting like zero income. Like unless it's just a baby, says it's less than a year old, but unless it has no real income. And then somebody says business credit card or debit card. Either one, as long as it's not you personally to get a, get something. Do companies reimburse when it's a corporation taxed as an S corp? Yes, they do. You qualify as what's called an accountable plan, 100% deductible to the business. Does the recipient even have to report it, Jeff? No. Nope. No employment taxes, no nothing. What if I write you a check for $25,000 
for your medical expenses. And it's, well, it's, if it's a C Corp, I can do that, right? Yeah. Uh, but I write you a check. Do I have to, do you have to report it anywhere on I your I don't have to report any of that. What if as, I, as long as I've substantiated it. Yeah. With you. Which me being the employer. And you can't be an employee of your own partnership. You can't be an employee of your own partnership or a sole proprietorship. So the only way you do these reimbursements is if it's a corporation and then the corporation takes the deduction. Mm-hmm. If it's a partnership or a sole prop, it really doesn't matter. You're going to write it off on the business because they just assume it's you anyway. I would still do the reimbursement, especially if you have an LLC, because if you don't do that reimbursement, they're going to say piercing the veil. It's not equitable to enforce the LLC because you didn't respect its separateness. You don't even reimburse your expenses, right? You just use your personal credit card for the business. That that could come back to haunt you. So the best bet, guys, period. You incur an expense individually, ask to be reimbursed from your business. Write the check from your business. Even if you have to put money back in, I have to put money into the business and then it writes me a check. That's okay. That's how it works. I have a contribution. That's not income. That's just contribution. And then I have an expense, which creates a loss. And then I can use that loss to offset my other income if I need to. Correct. But you always do the the right paper. Anything else to add, sir? Nope. Fun. All right. Next question. Suppose a Florida LLC has a piece of land bought three years ago and hired a construction company to build a single house when the house is sold. Can I allocate part of the profit to the sale or to the sale of the long-term land and the other as ordinary income? What say you, Jeff? I'm going to assume that the entire parcel of land was sold with the building that was built, building that was built. Okay. Uh, the house that was built. And at that point, that land is no longer capital gain property. You've now converted it into inventory that you're selling. Dealer. So no, as a matter of fact, it doesn't play off against ordinary income. It is ordinary income. The entire sale of this property is ordinary income. Yep. When you, uh, when you buy a capital asset, you have two choices. You either are buying it as an investor or you're buying it as for sale to your customers. And the, the decision is always made on the date of the sale. And so the IRS looks at your intent. People get mis- they get bad information out there. There's a ton of it. Oh, if I hold it for a year, then I'm okay. The seminal case on dealer status was somebody who held their property for 10 years before they sold it. But their intent when they bought it was to fix it up and sell it. That is dealer property. That is like buying, that, that you, you may as well have a car lot. And I bought a car and I put it on the lot. In this particular case, you built the car, right? And you're saying, but, but there's land too. Mm-hmm. You develop the land and that's real estate developers and dealers do not get the long-term capital gain treatment. In fact, there's tons of cases where you can convert land that has tons of gain and you build on it and you just screwed it up. Mm-hmm. So the, the way you do this is you set up an S-Corp for the construction and you sell the land to the S-Corp on a installment sale, I bought the land, I'm selling it for the long-term gain on the value of that land on that date. And then I put an improvement on that land. Yay. That's in an S-Corp that is going to build that property and then sell it. And what that's going to do is then you have long-term gain on, on leg one and you have ordinary income on leg two. And, w- and we've had a couple uh, good examples of this lately of I bought a property with the intention of flipping it. Things didn't work out. Mortgage rates are high, whatever. So I'm going to rent it out for a year mm-hmm. and then sell it later on. Well, 
Can, can I get capital gain treatment for that? No, because your intent was always to flip that property. That was the case. That was a the case. They bought a commercial property. Interest rates went polywonkus and the market fell out. They tried to get their price every year. They rented it out for 10 years. Every year they were trying to sell it. And then they finally sold it and they wanted long-term capital gain treatment. And they're like, the IRS is, no, you did. You were not buying this for its long-term appreciation. You were buying it to sell it to your customers. That is inventory, period, full stop. You can't do installment sales. So you'd lose mm -hmm. section 453, uh, I think it is. You cannot do 1031 exchanges. Nope. So um, where, somebody says, where did you do your report, your intent? It's facts and circumstances. So they look and see, uh, usually they're looking at you going, you're a land developer. Like you do this a bunch. You keep buying land and you keep building properties on it. And you sell it. That's, that's how they get you. Uh, if you have a whole bunch of single family homes, like I do, like I, I like to buy them. Every now and again, we sell one. If somebody comes along and offers the right price or if we're, you know, sometimes we peel off, like we'll buy 40 properties and peel off 10 and sell them to, to our clients because they're a good deal. I am not a dealer though, because when I buy, it's always this, I'm buying for the long-term hold. They could see because all of my properties, like the vast majority are these long-term holds. I just don't sell much. Um, flip that around. You're a developer. Even if you have a property that you hold on to, you better put it in a different entity, separate it from that business. Cause otherwise the IRS is going to come in there and say, what are you? What was your intent? Mm -hmm. You know, nine of you, nine times out of 10, you sell that thing within like a few years. You're a dealer. And, and it's really easy to find that information. If, if I bought a property and a couple of months, months later, I put it up for sale, but didn't sell it. They can still see that. Yeah, they use that. They, they, they see that it was put up for sale. And if you're audited, right? Now, here's the whole thing. If you're audited. If you're audited, yeah. Right. Can you try this stuff? Like, your preparer is not going to do it if they know what they're doing. Like, they would just look at you and go, I'm sorry, I'm not going to commit fraud on your behalf. But if you did it and you were like, oh, shoot, I really meant to buy this as a flipper and I'm going to keep it long. I'm probably not going to mention a bunch of facts. I'm just going to say, here's when I bought it. Here's this. Here's the HUD. Prepare the return. Oh, okay. They might just go about it and say, ah, oh, they might ask you a question or two. Don't lie, but don't volunteer, right? Then you might be able to get away with it. But I'm for doing it the right way and just being straight up. You know, hey, this is what it was. There's ways to get out of it. There's always ways to, to, to minimize the, the damage in a situation. And th again, this is the easy one. Hey, I bought it to flip. Prices went down. Interest rates went up. I'm going to sell it to another entity where I'm going to hold. Okay, do that. But I have no gain. Great. You switched it. This was the flipping entity. Now I changed my intent. How do I know? Because I sold it to an entity where I am changing my intent. So having watched a lot of depositions and court proceedings of late, is the proper response to their questions? I don't recall. I don't, re <laughs> I don't remember. But you're not supposed to get coached and you're not supposed to lie on the stand. You know, we're not all slippery like some of these politicians, right? Oh, somebody's asking a bunch of questions. Uh, Nicholas, put that in the Q and A. Uh, we, we're not going to make it in politics with that honesty mindset. <laughs> wink, winks. You're probably right. They're really good. I just, uh, I don't want to get into it. I'll just get mad. I clerked in court and you hear people lie all the time. That's usually how you know they're lying is they usually put their right hand up first and, then they, <laughs> and they swear that they're not going to do it. And, uh, then they go, and it's like, good nuts. This is crazy. Next question. How do I use my 401k or IRA to invest in real estate? You buy real estate with the money in your 401k or IRA. But TD Ameritrade will not let me 
buy any real estate in my IRA. And, and that, that's a really good point. You need for if it's an IRA, you need a self-directed IRA uh, where you're pretty much the custodian. Yeah. And uh, well, you have a custodian, but you're directing the custodian. Correct. 401k, you can be your own trustee. You don't need a yeah. custodian. Tell them to now, fly away. Now, a couple points. The IRA can absolutely not have any loans to the IRA. So you can't get a mortgage on a property that you're buying in your IRA. You can, but uh, then it's subject to... Oh, then it's subject to which one? It's not the... Uh, UDFI. UDFI, thank you. Yeah, no, I have to deal with this all the time. So I'm always like, stop that. <laughs> if you have a loan and you make money in the IRA... It is subject to unrelated debt finance income. If you do the exact same thing in a 401k, you are not subject to tax in the 401k. So our recommendation is if you are leveraging your real estate and you can, it has to be non-recourse. It cannot, you cannot sign on that loan Mm -hmm. individually, or you just, your whole IRA just got disqualified and you have a taxable event plus penalty. Which brings up another topic for both of these, the 401k and the IRA. What you like to talk about often is you can't pick up a hammer. You cannot do any work. You cannot use your personal services to improve the value of that asset. You can run the IRA. You can tell other people to do it. So like if I have an IRA, first off, do not own the real estate directly in an IRA because you are personally responsible for any liability. So somebody falls over a rake and busts their head, they're suing the IRA and you. So we need an LLC in there. So your IRA, self-directed IRA, and we know some great, your IRA club, Dennis Blitz, great guy. Mm-hmm. You set up an IRA, roll it over, and you put a, a LLC together that is owned by the IRA. Easy peasy. Put that piece of real estate in there. Great investment. A lot of people are doing it and they make a good, good, good return, right? That's what you do. If you have a loan in it, make sure you're using a 401k. If you are doing a syndication, they all use leverage. That's yeah. a loan. That makes the income that your IRA makes taxable to the extent that there's leverage. So if it's leveraged 75%, 75% of the income is taxable. They don't let you use leverage and not pay tax inside of an IRA. So if that's you, we would just roll the IRA into a 401k. And if I just freaked you out and you're going, oh crap, I bought a syndication. Say you're a doctor and you got your big old IRA and you did a syndication in that IRA, we need to get it out. We need to move that, roll those funds into a 401k. We need to move the investment, <clears throat> name only, into a 401k so you do not get hit with the UDFI. Another mistake I sometimes see, not that often, but I have a half million dollars in my IRA. I go out and buy a $495,000 house. Don't do that. Because I can't pay any things that the no. house needs. The IRA needs to pay for taxes, there's not going to be interest, but repairs, maintenance, all this stuff. And if it doesn't have any cash to pay for it, I should hate to lose that house to the to the sheriff. Yeah, you're toast. Unless you can get a line of credit or something like that again. But then if you're an IRA, you're going to have tax issues. 401k. It's easy. Anderson's 401k, by the way. You can do whatever you want. You can invest. There's certain things that are tax. You can't do like collector coins and things like that. Like mm-hmm. uh, go, go out and buy a bunch of artwork. Uh, yep. Put it on your wall. You can't do that. Right. But you can go, technically, you could go buy gold. You could buy uh, real estate. You could buy syndications. You can go and you could trade in it. You could do whatever you want. You're the direct. You're, you don't need a custodian if it's an Anderson 401k. If it's a self-directed IRA, then you're doing everything through the custodian. Custodian signs all the paperwork. You just pay. I know they kind of nickel and dime you a little bit. And weekends are probably off. <laughs> 
but you know, you could still use it. So like if you're working with uh, some of our partners, Alpine, for example, and you buy single family homes, they probably 70% of the houses that they sell are sold into retirement plans. They're almost always sold cash. These are $100,000, homes, and they're nice little cash flow machines. They're usually in the Midwest, sometimes Idaho, but for the most part, it's North Carolina, it's Missouri, it's uh, um, Indianapolis, it's you know Indiana, uh, sometimes Ohio, but there's good little cash flow machines, cha-ching, 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 and you could do it directly in your IRA, if they, especially if you're working with the party that's not trying to push it down your throat. But if you need to be fast and you're buying for example, foreclosure properties, you're buying them at auction or you're wheeling and dealing on a weekend, you probably need that 401k so you can sign as the custodian, as the trustee uh, under a 401k. Works great. And generally, you don't want to be flipping in your retirement account. Don't be flipping in your retirement account. Because that generates UBIT. Related business income tax, yes. And Jeff is exactly right. You cannot run an active business in your retirement account. We, we don't invest in Toby's Pizza Shop either. Don't do much. But if you do flips in a, in a, they say it's about five. Most custodians would say cannot do it consistently. Cannot become a business. If you do one, nobody's going to get mad. Do two, you're getting the snake, you know, stink eye. Mm-hmm. Three, you're like you're, you're you're in that gray area. Four, now it's turning into red. Five, you're toast. Right? Just don't do it. If you wanted to do that, you could partner. There's a way. It's something called a Rob's transaction which is rollover as a business startup. And it's a fancy way of saying, I set up a corporation that's the, the, the IRA is an owner in or the 401k is an owner in, and then we go flip. That's what you could do. What's the self-directed 401k for? There isn't such thing as a self-directed 401k. They use that because it sounds similar, like, hey, we'll set up a self-directed 401k, a custodian sneaking in their service when they do it. They're like, hey, we'll set up a self-directed 401k. Uh, it's a fancy way. Like really what a 401k is, is you could just be your own trustee. Like there's mm-hmm. nothing that says self-directed. Self-directed IRA is a fancy way of saying, I'm going to direct the investments and tell the custodian what to buy. And they're willing to buy different types of assets. When I go to TD Ameritrade, for example, they're not going to let me buy real estate. They're going to say, you can buy things that are on our platform and that's it. Hope that makes sense, Larry and Pam. Anything else? Nope. Here's another one. My husband's father wants to sign his house over to us. I like your in-laws. My husband's sister also owns 65% of the property. What tax advantages are there for us, his dad, his sister, and what tax issues does it raise for us? Should we start an LLC or some other structure? What do you think? Now, I can go one of two ways with this, depending on what this house is. If it is his principal residence, versus uh, maybe a rental property he owns that he just wants to get rid of. I- I'm not a fan of signing over a principal residence to my children. Is it his house? Like, I don't know if these people are on. I don't know. Yeah. Is it his personal residence or is it a house? Because if it's personal residence, it sounds weird because the sister already owns 65% of the yeah. property, which means she has the right to occupy the house too. You're all beeping like crazy. Uh, Somebody's trying to get you. Let's see, uh, what tax advantages are there for us? Really none. No. Unless it's an investment property, but then you're getting his basis if he gifts it to you. So like if dad's on this for a long time and he's like, hey, I really want to get this house over to you and your sister. And, and we, we, we see that so often it, that I've owned this rental property for, a little, I don't want to deal with it anymore. Here's the thing. If dad passes away with that property, your basis steps up. Mm-hmm. Which means if you guys sell it, 
or if in this case, your sister already owns part of the house. So it's the, what is that? 35% of the house that, that she doesn't own. Now you own it there. You wouldn't pay any tax on 35% of that income that the portion that came to you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't pay any tax on it because the basis would step up when he passes. So everyone, when they pass your capital assets, step up to the fair market value of that asset on the day of the decedent's passing. So dad passes away, you would have no tax on that sale. By doing this and he gives it to you, you have his basis and you lose the step up. So dad gives it to you before he passes. He says, hey, I'm doing a great thing. You just made it all taxable. And so I know I've shared on the show a few times, but there was a four, four brothers and sisters and dad had a building in a major city and it was worth tens of millions of dollars, but his basis was really low. In fact, he depreciated most of the thing. The land was was like a $100,000 basis when he bought it. He had, had it for like 30, 40 years. The accountant transferred it to the kids via an entity. They used a limited partnership and they filed it as uh, gift tax returns on it, trying to avoid dad getting hit with the estate tax. Dad passes away in a year where they had no estate tax. Kids now had 20 million bucks or whatever it was. It was millions of dollars of taxable gain when they sold that property. They would have avoided it entirely. So they got hit with, a, I think the tax bill was close to 6 million bucks that they would have avoided. So, ouch. So somebody says, so dad needs a living trust, put the property in the trust, easy passage after your passing. Then it's clearly the intent of dad, not to, up to the brother and sister arguing, thinking about my sister. Absolutely. But it sounds like he already gave it to sister. And, and I'm just going to bring that up. <clears throat> if he gives you the other 35%, your sister's going to be the majority owner on this. And can make all kinds of decisions without your now, input. Now, I would, what you, the way the workaround is you put it into an LLC and you make brother and sister co managers. But at this point, sister's going to have to agree. Yeah. Because she already has the, the 65%. Is why you, 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 unfortunately, it's like you talk to a lawyers before you do this so they can ask you all the nasty questions of how, how do the siblings get along? Are they going to be nice to each other? Because if they do this, and you say, hey, you're co-managers, but your interests are different. And then you could say, in order to make a change, 85% of the membership interests have to agree. Now you just made it to where sister can't bully brother, but brother also can't bully sister. They're co-managers. Um, I think if it was me, I would also consider, if I really don't care about this property, going ahead and taking that gift interest and turning around selling that interest to my sister. So then she becomes 100% owner and I have, I've yeah. washed my hands of it do that too and just say hey sis do you want 100 of the property dad gave me 35 but then you have gain you have yes. to pay tax on it it's yep. just so much easier if dad had just if dad held on to it and just gave it to his kids when he passed and you know held it in trust allowed yes. a trustee to make that decision and then they could distribute they could manage it here i'm going to distribute 65 percent. now if it's a if it's a residence primary residence and this is the house they grew up in and maybe you're like hey i want you to live here now you're going to have the issue. You're going to have brother and sister kind of at odds. Mm -hmm. Who gets to live there? All that good stuff. Who's paying for the utilities? Who's paying for the, the upkeep on the house? Sister's residing there. Brother's not going to be too happy kicking in a bunch of money every year. So it's, it's probably better under those circumstances to give it to sister and find some other way to take care of brother. So, so this question wasn't asked, Toby, but dad owns 35%, sister owns 65% and saying, this was dad's primary residence. Is he excluded from 121? When he gives it away, he's excluded from 121. With the sister, if she lives there, you could still get 121. Okay. 
because it's name on title, yep. brother and sister and occupancy. So, um, yeah, it's like you, you could still do it if they both live there. It's just like cohabiting, uh, cohabiting adults who jointly own a property. They could both qualify, but they each get the 250,000. I mean, there's other questions. Somebody wrote in there said, uh, sisters supporting dad, you know, uh, here, let me give you guys a horror story. This is, this is not necessarily related to the tax, but I live this. It was on my mom's side of the family. Great aunt took care of great grandfather. Great grandfather passed, left everything to great aunt. Great aunt got married. Great aunt passed away. Everything went to husband who was not a family member. Grandpa never intended. Great grandpa wanted to keep it in the family. And it ended up out of the family. In fact, my mom and her sister had to go bid on the sale of the estate sale to get albums and things like family albums, things like that. They wouldn't even just give them. They were absolutely turds. And it wasn't the, the gentleman was older. He was cool, but he didn't document it either. So great aunt passed away. He inherited. He said, Oh, don't worry. We'll take care of it. We, we we're not going to, we'll let make sure you get your stuff. And then he passed away and his kids were absolute turds. So it gets a little, little funky monkey. So that's why when somebody said, do the living trust, yes. Document who gets it, appoint somebody who's in charge. Easy peasy keeps and brother and sister don't fight. And, uh, because if they do, they, they get disinherited, then you could do it. Somebody's asking a question. This might be relevant. So just give me a second. I don't know if, oops, that somebody says that's how my family lost its thousands of acres of farmland Mm -hmm. that it had collected since the 1600s. And I got, and it got pissed away. Yep, Don. We see it all the time. And so people are always like, oh, it's complicated. You know, it's not complicated to guys like us because we see it and we can say, given the question right now, what if a business property is inside a trust and one parent dies and the other has Alzheimer's? Can there still be a non-taxable event if the property is given to the kids while one parent is still alive? Currently, the trust resides in her name, but is managed. So one, one parent dies, depending on the state, you may have a step up in basis on that date. Uh, if it's a community property state, if it's a separate property state, parent one passes away, there's a step up on their interest and the other part doesn't, but mom has Alzheimer's. So in a living trust, there's a trustee who's managing that property for their benefit during their lifetime. I wouldn't give it to the kids because there's no reason to do it while the parent's still alive. And so when mom passes away, sounds horrible. When mom passes away, step up in basis for the entire thing, sell it, then distribute it to kids. While mom's alive, if you want to sell it and distribute it to kids, there's a reduced taxable event, right? In my experience, anytime you have uh, somebody with uh, dementia or some other form of of brain impairment, uh, you really need a conservator or guardian for that person. And it probably shouldn't be any of the beneficiaries to their estate. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's going to be one of the kids, but then you should probably have a different trustee if that kid is also one of the beneficiaries. Uh, Beneficiaries can change the trustee, by the way, but they can't tell the trustee what to do. The trustee follows your written instructions. Somebody says, uh, oh, somebody says, what if your lender won't allow them to put a rental property in an LLC? Your lender can't stop. The lender can do a do on sale, but we just use a trust and that usually stops it. Yeah, I find that, I know this is a different question, but I, I usually find it easier from the LLC than buy the property. Yeah, and, or yeah, or just get, Work with portfolio lenders. As you get big, True. after you get over your first four to 10 properties, you're going to be doing portfolio loans anyway, or folks that are recourse. That was so helpful. Uh, the dad just passed at uh, 96. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to help. Hey, this stuff's serious. 
you know, I, we, 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 we joke a lot, right? We try to keep it light, but this type of stuff, you really have to sit down with somebody. A lot of times we just take action. There's a lot of folks that will just transfer things to their kids. Unbeknownst to them, kid has huge liability. They have a judgment against them and other stuff. You just gave them an asset. Now they go to take it from you. And uh, you didn't even realize that you exposed yourself to all that fun stuff. Or you do it and you put your kid on it and then something happens on the property and the kid's liable, you're liable, everybody's liable. And you, like, you, you didn't think of all the bad things that could happen because you were trying to do something like, oh, I know there's something that I should do, but sometimes it's just, hey, give us a call. That's why we're here. Mm-hmm. We'll make sure that we'll get you some you know, straight answer so you can make a very intelligent decision and that you don't do anything that ends up hurting. And it's really hard when you lose a loved one. you got enough on your plate already. Oh, yeah. So please don't be afraid to ask for help from whether it's a close, knowledgeable friend or from a professional or something like that because... It, it, it's frankly too much for most people yeah. to deal with financial, the legal side, and the death of your loved one. It's not a good use of your time either. All right. Next question. Oh, yeah, yeah. I keep <laughs> thinking that I'm going to, I could see up here fine, but down here I'm just toast. What is the best way to use funds from my S Corp to pay my taxes? Since the corporation taxes flow through my personal taxes, I understand I need to pay my personal taxes from my personal account, but the money is really in my business account. Can I use a distribution and is there a dollar amount limit for such a transaction? What say you, Jeff? Uh, yeah, you, you can always distribute your basis in the company. And I'll keep it even simpler than that. I make $100,000 in my S corporation. That's $100,000 that could come to me. Now, if you're profitable and distributing money, you really need to pay some kind of salary. And uh, we talk sometimes about the one out of three. Yes. Well, where one dollar of distribution or total distribution should go to salary, and the other two thirds can go to you. Uh, but yeah, it's fairly simple. Now, I, I want to get your feeling on something else that I've seen done. Is they're talking specifically about personal income taxes? How do you feel about the S corporation making those payments? I'm really fine with it. If the S like so, so here's how it works: S corp, the net profit or the net losses flow onto your personal tax return, whether the money's in the corp or not. Now, if the corporation pays a bill for you, your accountant's going to say that's a distribution. Yeah. So whether it goes to you first and then you pay it, or it just pays it on your behalf, it's going to be a journal entry. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, how does the accountant classify that? As long as you classify it as a distribution, you're fine. As Jeff said, if you take distributions of profit out of an S-corp, this is really important concept. I'm going to perk up your CPA ears. Anybody out here who's a tax professional, because the IRS will t- tells us the answer. If you take, if you make a profit and you take distributions, you have a salary requirement. If you have losses and you take distributions, you're not distributing net profit. You do not. You're just returning capital, which case it does not require a salary. It's kind of weird. Uh, if you just have an S corp that makes net profit and you do not take a distribution, technically you do not have to take a salary. But, but. if you pay the taxes that are owed, and you need the money from the S-Corp, it's a distribution no matter what, whether you pay it directly to the IRS, whether they pay it to you. So then you would trigger that salary requirement. And as Jeff said, most of the courts say it's a one-third. I would say that it goes lower and lower the higher you go. You're making a million bucks, you could probably get away with paying yourself 250,000, right? It's whatever whatever reasonable salary is for 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 whatever services. But if you're making 100,000, you better make sure you're paying at least a third, 33,000 right. in, in, in uh, wages. 
but I get it. It's sitting in that business account and you're like, gosh, but I just want it. There is no limit. If the thing makes 10 million bucks, you could take 10 million bucks out. In fact, I would encourage it because that business, chances are it has liability that you don't. Are you saying leaving that $10 million paints a target on that S corporation? Yeah, we just had that. We literally had a client with about 10 million bucks sitting in an S corp. They get sued and they're like, crap, we have so much cash in here. And they're like, it's a, it's avoidable transaction. It's a fraudulent conveyance, whatever you want to call it, but it's a uniform, uh, avoidable transaction. I think is the new, the, the new rules that they, that they're putting out there. Most states are adopting. And all they say is, Hey, you owe the money. Mm-hmm. You know, you owe the money. Can't transfer the money now. So what you do is if you make the 10 million, get it out of the business, put it in an LLC in Wyoming where nobody can see it. Nobody can touch it. It's not taxable, comes to you, puts out there. Those are both tax-free transactions. And that way, nobody can get to that money. I run into a busload of nuns, money's protected. Business gets sued, protected. Business gets nuked and they come after me individually. I still have that money protected. But if I leave it in the, in the company, boom, they're going to end up hitting that. Or if I do something individually, they can still take my company. So, you, you, you know, so you, you, you kind of look at it and go, shoot, how do I minimize that risk? And again, not to, not to beat our own. But, but yes. Toby, if, if I take all $10 million out and I decide I want to buy some equipment or something. I can just put the money back in. Oh, wow. Look at that. It's magic. It's like I can put money in my business and I can take it out, put it in, take it out, put it in, take it out. It's like the hokey poke. Just remember the hokey poke. Now, it's a little different if it's a C-Corp. If it is a C-Corp or an LLC tax is a C-Corp, it's not quite that simple because the C-Corp is a separate taxpayer. We should talk before you do this. Yeah. If it's a C-Corp, talk to your accountant. You could still do so. Like you could have a line yeah. of credit. You could say, hey, I need cash periodically, but it's the corporation that's going to hold the paper. What if I want to get it out of the corporation and get it into my protected anonymous LLC somewhere? Okay, you're going to be paying corporate tax and you're going to be paying a dividend. So, you know, you just got to do these things with your eyes open. Anything else on the S-Corp? Nope. All right. Well, we mentioned this earlier, so I'm going to mention it again. If you are interested in learning how tax and asset protection works, there are four workshops sitting, staring you right in the eye. Three of them are free. The virtual events are all free. So November 10th, 18th, 30th are all free. The only one that costs a little bit of money is December 7th through the 10th. It's, It's hundreds of dollars. And I think we have a buy one, get one free even. Do we have that, Patty, still going on? I don't know. Somebody has to tell me. Usually, if you get, yes. Okay. So if you buy a ticket, then you'll get a second ticket for a partner or spouse that you can bring along and uh, or drinking buddy for, for Vegas. Behave while you're at the event, though. After the event, go, go a little crazy. Hey, Vegas. Hey, oh, I'm sorry. You know, you know the online events are great, but it is such a different feel to the in-person event. I, I don't even know how to explain it. It's because everybody's having a good time and you're around a bunch of people that are investors and they're like-minded. It'd be like if we did these Tax Tuesdays in person and everybody got to just ask questions, everybody's having a good old time and we're just trying to, all right, and you got three or four people pushing in and talking about it. You can bring in some experts on different subject matters. It's just a different dynamic. And yes, we have a lot of fun. And yes, we roll around there. I, I talk to everybody and anybody that'll That'll, uh, that, that's rolling there. <laughs> Unfortunately, sometimes people are like, just stop. <laughs> I'm not allowed in the hallways anymore. But, but I speak, my partners, uh, both Michael and Clint speak. We bring in a bunch of other people to, uh, that are experts in their area. I know we always have Eric Oliver. 
who's a cost segregation specialist. And a CPA, right? And uh, I don't think he's a, he works for a CPA firm. Oh, okay. I don't think he's a CPA himself. Uh, he's just really, really good with cost segs. <laughs> he is very good. But uh, that's because they've done thousands. We don't do the cost segs. They send you to somebody who's done thousands because that's all they do is cost segs and, and energy evaluations. Mm-hmm. They do the energy credits and that's all they do. They only work with, there were a bunch of CPAs. They just work with a bunch of CPAs. So that's what all the CPAs use. All right, more fun stuff. I know we have other questions and we're probably running late. No, what's four o'clock? <laughs> if I, I don't know how many questions are left. I didn't really look. So if I elect to aggregate rental properties into one activity, for example, managing operating single family homes as rentals and a limited partnership interest in a multifamily syndication and electing all of my investment real estate as one activity, which you can do, it's called an aggregation election. What happens if years down the road, one of the assets is sold from the aggregate group? What are the tax and legal implications, Jeff? Okay, I'm going to make the answer probably shorter than the question. If I sell a property that I've aggregated with other properties, treat it like any other sale property. Yep. The one thing it doesn't allow you to do is if that property had passive losses embedded in it, it does not release those passive losses until you've sold substantially all of your portfolio that you aggregated. In other words, if you have a whole bunch of loss that you're looking at going, man, I want the only way I'm going to get to use that loss is if I sell the property. Don't aggregate that with your other properties, right? Well, the problem with the aggregation rule, it pulls in all all real estate. Yeah. So you're toast. Yeah. So then you wouldn't aggregate under those circumstances if you were like, man, I need that because I'm going to be selling it soon. But you don't lose the loss carry for it. You just use it against passive income. So if you have a bunch of other properties that are making money and you're like, shoot, there's no reason not to aggregate because you could use those passive losses against the income that's being generated. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, Toby, is that if I have aggregated property that has passive losses in it, I want to find passive income elsewhere that's not necessarily real estate to offset my passive losses with. Yeah. And by the way, it doesn't have to be just Real estate, right? You, it could be right. the it could be the your silent partner in a pizza shop, Ooh. and you know I always use Toby's pizzas because one day I'm going to have a pizza shop. You guys just wait. Toby's pizza is going to be good. I've been practicing my uni. So much cheese on it. <laughs> I know. I've learned my lesson with my uni. Don't put too much cheese on those things, right? No, I'm the worst pizza maker ever. <laughs> but let's just say that I open it up. You'd kick out losses like nobody's business. But if you invest in something and you're the silent owner, and you have profit coming in, then yeah, I have losses sitting over here, passive losses. I could make sure that that income is not taxable. So it's going to offset that. So you see a lot of folks that are tax savvy and good investors, they may have several investments. People are always like, why would you invest in a restaurant? Why would you invest in that? And a lot of times they're saying, because I'm a silent owner, and it's going to kick me income. These things are profitable. It's not huge, but I have losses. So it's just tax-free money for it. If it kicks me $20,000 a year, it, I didn't have to pay the 50% tax if I'm in California or you know, 40% tax if I'm someplace else, right? I'm saving a bunch of money, uh, not having to pay it. So it'd be cool. Somebody says, if I come to Vegas, will all the road construction be done? Holy smokes, it was terrible two weeks ago. Yes, it should be done because the F1, no, stop it, Patty. The F1 is next week. It'll be done. And I think Tropicana won't be complete yet. How they're doing that whole... Yeah, but I don't think that's messing up the strip. That's the... Oh, the F1, yeah. The F1's what's screwing us up. The state flower is a traffic cone. That's about right. 
<laughs> been to Vegas before. It's almost like they don't want you out of the casino. <laughs> All right. Next question. Is it tax wise to pass on single family home properties before my death to my kids? We have plenty of income and passing on a few of them to our two kids might even lower our tax bracket. Each rental property is in a separate LLC and we have owned them for seven to eight years now. What do you say? Based on the way we answered the previous question about gifting, I think it's a bad idea, especially if you had it seven or eight years, so that's probably appreciated considerably. I would not gift these properties to my children. Right. Uh, Remember the rule. These guys need to remember the rule. If I gift Jeff a property, he gets my basis. If I have appreciated property and I die, it steps up and Jeff never pays tax and all that gain. If I gift it to Jeff during my lifetime, he's now got this lower basis and all this becomes taxable. It wouldn't have been taxable. So go ahead. So I'm going to propose something and see what you think, Toby. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talk about property managers a lot. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that says that your children cannot be your property managers or that you can't slide income to them from your, to to lower your taxes. Yeah. Uh, You you could set up a management, a a family LLC taxes a corp. mm -hmm. They could sit on it. You could reimburse them for things like medical, dental, vision, cell phone, any tech that they need that benefits the business. Teach them how to do your business and you could move money to eliminate some of that tax, get it over to your kids' tax brackets, or in that case, it'd be zero. So they wouldn't even have to pay tax on it. One other thing I would suggest, because it's come up a couple of times, is if you got all these properties and they're all making money, you may want to consider cost segregation on one of the properties, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could do that over the next however many properties. To eliminate properties, the tax. To you eliminate, eliminate the tax. You, you accelerate the depreciation. Mm-hmm. So depreciations generally on a single family home. 27 and a half years, and you could break it into five, seven, 15 year property and the 27 and a half, about thir- a third of that property would be accelerated realistically un- under this scenario, probably into, I mean, the five and seven year property would be immediately deductible any amount that you haven't written off. Yep. The 15 year property would be accelerated a big chunk of that. Like you wouldn't even have to bonus depreciate it. You just have a massive loss in the year that you did it. I'm going to throw one other thing out because, yeah. just because I'm a, I always like the charitable stuff. You want to get a nice tax deduction, set up a family foundation or family charity. And believe it or not, depending on the type of property this is, that could actually qualify as a charitable activity. If it's Section 8 or if it's uh, housing for veterans, housing for single moms, housing for residential assisted living, there's a whole bunch of categories or just Section 8, affordable housing. Mm -hmm. That's a charitable activity. You can set up a 501c3. And if you contribute one of these houses, it is a... 100% 100% deductible against your adjusted gross income. There's a limit of 30% of your adjusted gross income that can be written off in any given year from donating appreciable assets, but it, you can carry that forward five more years. So if I look at this and I say, hey, we have several rental properties, give it to your charity. Your kids run the charity. They're, they're entitled to salaries and mm-hmm. fringe benefits out of that. Again, think all of their tech, all of their stuff, reimbursements for medical and things like that. Um, but it's out of your state. Your kids can't screw it up. They're, they make, if they have a broken picker and they're bad at spouses, right? They can't lose it in a divorce. If anything happens to you, nothing, ha- it doesn't have to get probated, but you get a nice big fat deduction and your kids get the joy of running a property that has social benefit and you get this big write off so, and kids get to continue to operate that. Thing. So wait a minute. I bought this house for $150,000. It's now worth $350,000. Huh? 
What's my deduction? Three hundred fifty thousand. I just I, I just lived that this year. I did that exact scenario. I bought it for ninety thousand, and I think we did. Uh, what are our Florida property, Patty? The one that we gave uh, gave away. What what was the fair market value? Let's see. Let's see if she actually pops it in. She's listening. Three hundred thirty thousand. Boom! Wow. Yeah. Toby needed a tax deduction, and uh, it was actually good. It was uh It was. It was. I've told this story. It's not to pat myself on the back, right? But it was a gal that she got booted out of her house because her kids used it as collateral on some on some dubious business dealings, and she lost a house, and she's blind legally blind and she'd lived in the house for 30 years they used it as collateral she loses it it's a guy i know so i went to the bank and i bought it back and said mom can stay there you know and i said like kid was good i know them i'm not going to get into all the specifics but it was one of those things where i was like i'm never going to get paid for this thing they're never going to never going to be able to buy it back so mom can stay in it so i put it gave it to one of my charities that that does uh, assistance for uh, other people that are in need and i was like hey you can just live there for the rest of your life you're older. I don't know how long, but you live there until you can no longer live there. I'm not charging rent or anything like that. So it's like, cool. This works great. I get a big deduction. I held it for a few years before I did that. So I get the nice tax deduction. Yay. Pretty much the deduction paid for the property. So I, that's why the government does it for you. So you can do that too. Uh, so I just want to sell it and add on question. If the kids want to sell it in the charitable institution in the future, what happens then? It is tax free. It's exempt. But the money is in the charitable institution and would have to come out either as um, payment for their services so they could get salaries. They could, uh, if it no longer does its charitable activity, it's probably going to become a private foundation, which means that it would need to give away 5% of its assets every year and they could charge a, a wage until the money's gone. That's not uncommon. You know, a common misconception that we frequently run across is the nonprofit that I own, time out. You don't own this yeah. nonprofit yeah. anymore. You control it. You control it. That's it. But anyway, so you have options. You yeah. have options. If you're going to make the charitable contribution, it has to be done by December 31st. And give the LLC. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Each property is in a separate LLC. You get an appraisal done. And what's the form you're going to file with your 1040? Um, help me out here, guys. Um, what's the 8283? 8283. You're going to file the tax form that says, with the appraisal, the appraiser signs the tax form, I should say, saying here's the appraised values. And then if it's yes. over 5,000 bucks, it needs that appraisal. But you get that appraisal done next year if you really wanted to. Yes. Like before you file your tax return. And then it just has to accompany and I'll see if anybody puts that up. All right. This should be the last question. It's the 8283. Very intelligent, sir. <laughs> That's good. You plucked that out. All right. Next question. We have two newly opened, they're giving you applause too. We have two newly opened short-term rental Airbnbs and LLCs. We want to do cost segregation and do bonus appreciation, depreciation, but I get your point, uh, for the 2023 tax year. We are logging our time for the 500-hour rule, which is material participation, if you didn't know what that is. I heard that small businesses should be taxed as S-Corps to save on self-employment taxes, but others say don't put Airbnbs in S-Corp because they're passive. What to believe, Jeff? Okay, couple corrections here. Bunch. The 500-hour test, all you have to do is meet the 100-hour test for your short-term rental. I'm guessing we're talking about spouses. So the way material participation works, if one spouse meets the test, they both meet the test. Um, you add their time together. Yes. So, and 
There's seven tests. Yes, there is. There's three that are really relevant. You did ever, substantially all the activities, so nobody's cleaning it, it's just you. If somebody else is doing any activities, then as long as you spend between you and your spouse more than 100 hours, and it's more than anybody else, other individual mm-hmm. spends on your property, then you have material participation. Or the 500-hour rule is the, hey, I don't have to worry about what anybody else does. If I do 500 hours, I'm materially participating. Please carry on. So where they say the S-Corp, don't put an S-Corp because it's passive. passive. That is incorrect. Short-term rentals are a trade or business. And if you're materially participating in them, then it's active ordinary income or loss. But but uh, one of the issues I have with putting any real estate in an S corporation or C corporation is real estate tends to appreciate. And if you ever need to pull that property out, even for something like refinancing the property at all, it becomes a taxable event, which you want to avoid. Yeah, we don't put the property in an S corp. But even if you have a short-term rental and mm-hmm. it's a trader business, that business could actually be passive if you don't materially participate. You materially participate, now it's no longer passive, but it doesn't mean it's subject to self-employment tax. In order to have an Airbnb subject to self-employment tax, you have to provide additional significant services that are similar to a hotel, like concierge services or food or meals. If that's not you, there's no self-employment tax. You don't need the escort. So if you are taking, if you're doing the cost segregation and bonus depreciation individually, and this is, uh, and you are materially participating in this, you want non-passive losses to offset your W-2 income or your other income, but mm-hmm. you do not want it to meet the self-employment uh, test as far as being subject to social security taxes. You, the, what, what you just described works, I would just have it in an LLC, taxed as a partnership or taxed as a disregarded entity. I would not use an escort. Yep. I agree. I'm going to make it complicated now, just for a second. If you were not going to meet a bunch of these rules, like if you if you were not materially participating, then there's a good chance I'd want to keep your Airbnb, the rental property separate from the business. And I would set up an S-Corp for the host only, but I'd have the property in an LLC renting it to the S-Corp. And that way, I'm not, I, I'm separating it out. My real estate's over here. It's all passive. My active Business is my S-Corp hosting. That's right here. In which case, I would separate those out and then I would have the S-Corp because I would have a salary requirement. So are you are you referring to what we call the master lease? Yes. Where I'm leasing long. I own the property, but I'm leasing long to my S-Corporation. We and Yes. And we do this especially for real estate professionals who have other rental properties, but they may have a couple Airbnbs and they may not meet the material participation on the Airbnbs, but they meet the material participation on their rental properties. So then we put the two, like let's say we had two Airbnbs, we put them in with the other rental properties, it's LLCs, they rent long to an S-Corp. Now you're, now all those losses qualify as rental. And it's uh, one of the exclusions is the real estate professional status. I meet that, it's non-passive loss and it offsets my W-2 income and my other income. So just to make it, throw a little curveball at you to understand that it's not 100% straightforward, right? Yeah. Now, if you're a doctor, lawyer, dentist, salesperson making a lot of money, manager, whatever, and you're you're making a bunch of W-2 income, short-term rentals that you own and manage and you materially participate on become your friend because you can offset a ton of your tax by doing exactly what this question is. I put those in there, I meet my test, and 
I use an LLC that's taxed as a partnership or as a disregarded entity. Those losses throw flow through. They're limited to what is about five hundred thousand dollars a year. It's five hundred. It's more than five. It's like five forty somewhere around there. Yeah, it's it's you have an excess business loss limitation now, and it's like just over five hundred thousand dollars that yeah. you you can use. Oh, somebody's yelling at us for going. Stop it, John. They're yelling at us for going long. You, yeah, he says you're very verbose. Does that mean I talk a lot? <laughs> it's me. It's me. I know. I know. I'm sorry, guys. I can't happen. <laughs> we, we blame Elliot. He picked some really good questions. Elliot picks really good questions this time. And by the way, we do have to give a big old shout out to Elliot, Patty, Amanda, Dutch. Tanya's on there. I'm probably missing people. Troy was on there. They're answering all these questions. They've answered over 127 questions in the background. So uh, I always like that. Dutch and Amanda. I said Dutch and Amanda. And J- oh, Jared's on too. So Jared gets a big start. We got CPAs just sitting here answering questions. Anyway, somebody says, thanks for being verbose. You're the only one who's ever thanked me for being verbose. Patty ridicules me. <laughs> all right. If you uh, can't get enough, we post these Tax Tuesdays and we're going to start doing something new this week. We're going to take each question and we're going to post it as a separate video. Uh, for you, those of you who are platinum, I think that you get the full access. It may be even if you're subscribed to the Tax Tuesday, you get the full video if you want to go watch it. But we're going to break these into their pieces. And we're going to take each question. We're going to post it as a YouTube question. So if you're sitting here going, oh, man, there was something that I heard and uh, I want to go back and listen to it, you can watch the whole thing or you can wait for the separate question. It'll be the question will be the title of the YouTube and we're going to start breaking them into pieces. You know that we're content rich and we like to put, I think we'll be posting a video every, every day in YouTube if, if we're doing that, but that's okay. And, th- uh, and thank you to the production team for yes, taking that on. They, uh, I've been asking them for two years. They just always look at me kind of like, really, really? But I said, I will answer, I'll take the question and I'll say, Next question, and then I'll read the question <laughs> rather than bouncing back and forth all the time. So I said, we'll try to make it easy, and then they can cut out all this nonsense that we do at the end. All right, so there's the, the YouTube. I, by all means, you could subscribe. Click on that. If, if you would like to be part of the Tax Tuesday where you could, answer, you could ask the questions and things like that, uh, I would say actually subscribe to Tax Tuesday. I believe it's a separate thing. And then, as always, check us out. We have video, or not videos, we have events going almost every week. Looks like every week, 10th, 18th, 30th. We're always trying to bring content to you guys. You know us. We like to talk. And then if you have questions in the next two weeks and you want to get an answer, send it in. Tax Tuesday at Anderson Advisors. Visit us at Anderson Advisors as well. But if you have a question, send it in. There's not a cost. I don't care if you're a client. We'll get you an answer. We'll probably pick it. and. uh and, and we'll answer, we answer a bunch. We get probably 400 questions, but we always grab 10. Elliot does it and, uh, and throw them up there. But we're always trying to bring stuff that maybe you never thought of before. Maybe it's, an, maybe it's something that can touch you and help you out in some way. Or maybe you know somebody else who could benefit from it. By all means, then share it. And, uh, and we're all here just trying to get through this big old tax code together. And uh, we've been doing this 200 and some episodes. so. Been doing this for many, many years. We're going to keep doing it for many, many more, God willing. And, uh, and we're going to keep doing everything we can to at least try to shed some light on a very complicated subject. But if you have questions, by all means, 
shoot them in on a on an email. Anything else, sir? No, I got nothing else, Joey. All right, we will see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 